0: Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, that it wouldn't be uh, my thoughts, that, that the things that I, I might do that would get in the way, Lord, that that um, they wouldn't get in the way, but rather that your spirit would move and folks would hear from you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Um, we are continuing in the book of um, James. Um, no, sorry, I, I wrote Titus at the top of my paper, and at, for a moment I had a... Oh, my gosh, I have the wrong outline. It's that nightmare that is actually happening. Um, and I, I don't even use the outline. I don't know what, Anyway, um, so uh, we are continuing in the book of James. Um, and and where we're at, um, I mean, a quick background here, uh, which I think I have a slide for. Um, James is the author. He's Jesus' half-brother. He's the leader of the whole, like, the church in the world, like, at, at um, a period up until about 62 A.D., he was a leader of, of all of Christendom, and then he was uh, martyred. He was, was um, um, thrown off the temple uh, wall and then beaten to death with clubs. Um, and, and so uh, James is writing this. He is um, very much writing it – well, he's writing it to, to Jewish Christians. Um, there's a very heavy Jewish emphasis to this letter, so it's probably very early when a lot of the converts were just Jewish. Um, Not just you. You get what I'm saying. Uh, Most of the converts were Jewish converts at that point. Um, And so there's a very heavy Jewish flavor to this book. Um, The purpose is giving like sort of expansion on the teachings of Jesus and encouragement. Um, In particular, this was written during a time when a lot of Jewish Christians were being persecuted. And how they were being persecuted was um, there were a lot of poor Christians, right? Um, it started out very much as a religion of the poor. And um, what would happen was these, these guys would go out and they would work like day labor. Um, and, and as they were out working day labor, um, these, these richer folks who recognized these guys were Christians and sort of out of public favor would hire them. And at the end of the day, they'd say, well, we were going to pay you, but have a nice day. Um, and, and so the, uh, there's a lot of persecution going on. There's a lot of these guys being cheated um, and, and sort of going through difficulty as a result. And that plays into this portion of the letter in a really big way. And we're going to get to that in a second. Um, but it's important to know that that's part of what's going on. Um, I lost my slides. There They're there. Um, the previous sermons we've looked at, um, the last two, like James is really good about building here, right? Um, Two weeks ago, we looked at the section of the letter on temptation and how when we're tempted to do wrong things, it's because we look at something and something like evil, something sinful inside of us jumps up and like like takes control. OK, I'm sure we've all been there. Right. Like where you see something and, and deep in, you know, you know what the right thing to do is. And there's this part of you that just wants the wrong thing. And that's what happens. Um, and, and so he talks about that in the, the section before last. In the previous section, he talks about how we respond to the word. So, like, specifically when we read the word, um, it's supposed to um, come into our hearts, come into our our lives. We're supposed to look at it like a mirror. We're supposed to see who we are. And then we're supposed to um, um, respond to it and live different as a result of what we've read. Everybody got that? So if it, you read, well, hey, you know, you should be living this way, love your neighbor as yourself, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, then that should be part of how we live. If we look at it, we say, well, I'm not loving my neighbor, I'm not really loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we should respond and live differently. So he finishes that, and he kind of transitions, I keep losing my slides, um, in, into chapter 2, so this is two one, and James starts with, my brethren, do not hold your f- faith in our glorious Lord Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Um, What he's talking about here is, um, he's talking about, well, I'm going to tell a story. How about that? Um, I was reading this morning about Gandhi. You all are familiar with Gandhi? He's more than just a movie character from the 80s. Um, He was actually a historic figure. Um, Gandhi, during a time when England occupied all of India, um, Gandhi led kind of a peaceful revolution that chased the English out of, out of India and made it into a sovereign nation. Um, and, and I was reading about in his autobiography, he, he tells this story where he was looking at one of the biggest problems that India had, which is the caste system. The caste system is this, this setup where um, from birth it's decided where you are in the world. Everybody got that? Like it, you hear people talk about karma Karma is sort of the like accumulation of good or bad um, chips. And when you have enough good chips, you can jump up to the next level. And so where you might be born like sort of middle class, you might be born upper middle class in the next life. And the further you go, the better you can get or the worse you can get if you're a wicked person. And um, the bottom tier of the caste system is something called the untouchables. Um, it's considered to be hell on earth where you've been so bad That you have just been cast into this like poorest of the poor. They can't have regular jobs. If an untouchable is walking down the street, folks walk to the other side. And sometimes they spit on the ground before they do it because they don't want to be near you. Um, I've read that one of the most common jobs for untouchables in the cities is to crawl through the sewers and break up like blockages. Um, It's miserable. Okay? Like one of the worst, worst lives in the whole world. Um, it's one of the only places where leprosy is incredibly common. Um, and, I mean, it's a disease that's gone in most of the world. But India, amongst the untouchables, it's fairly common. Um, and, and so um, Gandhi was looking at this caste system at a time when he was studying the Gospels. And, and he said the caste system, like, like today still, it cripples India's economy. And, and he looked at it and he said this is unjust. It's a terrible thing. What do we do to solve this? And he looked at the Gospels, and he said, well, God accepts all men um, as, as sons, regardless of their age, or excuse me, regardless of their financial situation, regardless of their past. All men can be born um, again, and made new, and be put on the same level. And so Gandhi considered the Gospels, like Christianity, as a solution to India's like caste system problem. And And... His, when, he, when he began to take it very seriously, he attended a nearby church, which is an English church, right? Like, because he studied as a lawyer abroad for a long time, he attended a, a white English church, and the ushers wouldn't seat him. Like, he walked in and they looked at him, and and they said, like, the, the usher actually said to him, "Why don't you go to church with your own people?" Um, and and the usher wouldn't seat him, and and he walked away. And and actually, his famous like his famous quote is that he. You know, Gandhi said, I would love to be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. You know, like it's, it's the, the, the religion has so much going for it, but Christians just don't manage it. And that's what James is talking about here as he starts his letter. He says, listen, personal favoritism. If you look at other folks and you treat them unevenly, you're not handling the gospel correctly. Um, and, and here's where he goes with this. Let me see if I can get my slides back. 2-2. Um, two, two, if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring dressed in fine clothes, and you're going to hit pause there. And the assembly could be two things. It could be worship service, right, like we're doing now. Um, and, and so he says, look, if a guy walks into your worship service um, and he's wearing nice clothes, he's got a ring on his finger, um, meaning he he stands out, right? Um, in Montana, that probably wouldn't go very far. I mean, do we put much stock in that? I don't I thought Craig was homeless when I met him. I, <laughs> I'm just going to work that into every sermon from here on out. Like <laughs> um, that was something actually Larry said to me when we came out here to interview. He said you could meet a millionaire here who, you know, looks like, you know, it looks like he's he's just some other guy. I mean, they drive old trucks. They don't, you know, there's not a whole lot of show here. Um, that was you, wasn't it, Larry? <laughs> um, it it like there's not a lot of ostentation. But in this culture. Um, in this ancient culture, people would oftentimes put their wealth out there, and they would be treated with extra respect. Um, the, the way he describes it, it might be a certain like social class amongst the Romans, but it's uncertain if that's the case or not. Um, and so into the worship service, or the other possibility is that it's a, a, a judgment setting, where Christian communities would like make judgments amongst themselves, and it might be related to them like, making a judgment and giving special consideration to a rich guy but we're not going to talk about that this morning because it's I it's not the way we're going to talk about it um, so this guy comes into church he's got a gold ring which was fairly uncommon at the time like people were really poor and and he's dressed in fine clothes and also comes a poor man in dirty clothes the way that the poor man is described in the in the Greek here right um, it's not Saying that he's of a low social class, it's saying that he is financially destitute, right? And the words he uses, um, like like almost shiny and grubby, does that make sense? It's it's um, almost like like he's trying to set a counterpoint here, where where one is one is you know you know shiny and perfect and new and clean, and the other guy is dirty and stinky and poor, and he's wearing mismatched clothes, and he's you know he, he just looks a mess. Um, I, when I read this, honestly, the thing that came to mind, I used to live in, uh, Chicago and you would, you would get on the trains and there were a lot of homeless people, what they would do on the trains. Um, if it was snowing, the like, like safest, cheapest shelter was to ride the trains. And so you get these homeless folks who would ride, you know, one of the 24 hour lines, they would pay the fee and they would sit on the train all day and they would just ride back and forth cause it's not raining on them. It's not snowing on them and they're not getting kicked out. That's true, isn't it? The, the nice thing that comes out about that is that the trains don't have bathrooms. And so there's all sorts of other unpleasantness that comes with it. And I remember you would sit on the red line or whatever, and, like, a homeless guy might sit across from you, and there's kind of this, like, metal tube that's no circulating air, and the really stinky guy is right there. And, and I mean, to give you sort of an impression of what this was probably like, um, these buildings were small. People oftentimes would sit close together. Um, the primary mode of transportation was not diesel trucks. It was farm animals, right? Um, Or horses or what have you. I mean, people spent all their time around animals and and animals were in the street all the time, by the way, which means when you walk, what what do you pick up on your shoes when you're walking around? I'm sure there are farmers and you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, The the reality is that, that this would have been a very clean, very nice looking man. And then like like a stinky guy walks in. And so in the service, you have these two guys, and um, like James continues, he says, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. Now, so the rich guy comes in. It's assumed, by the way, that they're both guests, right? These are not regular attenders. These are both guests. So the two guests show up, and like it had become the practice at the time that folks were treating these wealthy folks with special attention, um, the assumption in that culture, with the nicer dress and everything else, part of what they were looking for was better attention, right? Um, part of what they were looking for was um, um, special consideration, and and so like like, and wealthy people could give you favors. It's the truth, isn't it? it? It was an uncommon thing, or it was a very common thing at the time when you went to court. Wealthy people could buy court. Or they could walk into court, and they knew the judges, and so they did a little better than the poor guy, right? And so the wealthy guy walks in, and the response from the church is, oh, wow, why don't you come here and have the nice seat? Have have the good spot. Whereas the poor man, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. By the way, I'm going to point out, this means the early church had footstools. Just saying, if we're going to be biblical... (laughs) Recliners, it's, you know. (laughs) Um, So sort of the rich man, they give him a spot, assuming, by the way, that it's a spot with a footstool, right? Because if it's a special spot, he's getting a footstool, which means they're putting the poor man slightly below where they would put the feet of the rich man. Um, That's insulting, isn't it? I mean, they're, they're literally, like, he's talking about a practice, which apparently was common enough that he's addressing it, Where where the poor would be placed at at a lower position. Um, And by the way, I'm going to come back around to it. If animals are the primary mode of transportation, if they're in the road and the street all the time, and you're walking around in sandals all the time, how pleasant is the floor in your house going to be? Like, not very. Whenever we're at farmer's houses and the kids are crawling around, I get the warning. Don't let the kids eat anything off the floor. (laughs) Because they could get sick, right? Right? Again, in this culture, what's he saying? Why don't you go ahead and sit on the floor? Um, they're like the practice had become lowering people um, and and treating them in, in ways that were kind of disrespectful and and really not right. Um, he goes on: Have you not made distinctions amongst yourself and become judges with evil motives? That phrase now, a Jewish reader would have picked that out. That's a reference to Leviticus, and it's talking about like like this tendency that um, judges would have and this warning that God lays out. He says, listen, if you are going to have judges, you need to, be, you need to be on the level. You need to treat people equally. You need to pe- treat people justly. God frequently in the prophets and specifically in Leviticus speaks out against these judges with evil motives because oftentimes they would kind of they would cheat the poor. So much so, and it was so much of a serious consideration for the Jews that it was, it was uh, a practice in some courts, like when you'd have different rabbis who were in, in influence. They would say, if a poor man walks into court with a rich man, you need to make sure that the poor man is dressed like the rich man or the rich man is dressed like the poor man. Because if they're standing there in different clothes, it's not fair. Um, and and like, this was apparently a practice in some parts of Israel where they were so concerned about it. And so for James to come out and say, look, aren't you judges with evil motives? He's, he's putting them in their spot. This is a pretty convicting statement. Right? Um, So we're going to go on um, in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Um, Now, he's being stern, but he's also being gentle. Everybody got that? Like, listen. Anybody ever do that with your kids? Listen, child. (laughs) Um, Or anybody have parents that did that to you where it's like, all right, it's time for you to pay attention. Um, Listen, beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Now, there are folks who do wrong with this verse, and it's important that we handle it right, okay? Um, He's talking about the poor. He's not saying that the rich should be treated badly, right? If he was, he would have probably said something like, hey, you know what? You should make the rich folks sit on the floor and give the poor nice seats. He's not saying that. Instead, he's referencing back to a tendency we see in the gospel and actually in all of the Old Testament for God to handle poor folks with a great deal of concern and care. Um, poor folks, like when you are out, um, when you go out and you harvest, right? If you cut a corner too sharp or it's actually your kids because you all are better than that, right? When you cut a corner too sharp and you miss a corner, right? And you've got that like corner of wheat standing out in the field. That happens, doesn't it? I've driven a combine twice, and I've done it. (laughs) You were not allowed to go back and collect that up because that was for the poor to eat. And it was a requirement that you left wheat in your field for poor people to collect up and eat. Um, There were all sorts of special laws protecting the poor, including, like, if a poor man came to you and gave you his, like, bed as collateral on a loan, you have to give it back to him at night and then collect it back up during the day because if he's got nowhere to sleep, it's not okay. Um, There are rules after rules after rules, and God, like, at times in the prophets, you see where God, like, gets downright angry about the mistreatment of the poor, because our God is a God of, he's a God that loves the helpless. He's a champion for the helpless. He's a protector of folks who can't protect themselves. Our God is, is, he's the God of the misfit, isn't he? And so for these folks to do this, they're ignoring a basic principle of what, what our God is about, okay? Now, um, when he says here, all right, so he said, um, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? What does he mean by that? It doesn't mean that just because you're poor, you're rich in faith. It means because you're poor, you kind of got to trust God a little bit more, doesn't it? I, I uh, Jess and I keep a, a GOK fund, right? Some of you guys maybe are familiar with that. Who wrote that? That's, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, He's a Christian writer. We keep a GOK fund. It's Dave Ramsey, yeah. If our car breaks down, we can fix it because we have a bank account with money sitting in it for fixing the car, right? It's our, well, gee, okay, well, let's take care of it, right? Um, That GOK fund makes it easy to not trust God, doesn't it? Not saying that we shouldn't have it. It's good to plan. It's good to be careful. It's good to be good stewards, but... The poor are in a place where they have to trust God. When you open your cabinets and there's no food in there and you've got no money to go buy food, God's providing you eat, right? And there's a depth of faith that comes with that um, because because you're forced to rely. You're forced to trust that God is going to come through. Um, we're going to – well, I was going to do this a little later, but I'm going to do it now. Um, there are other folks who sit in this position. There's a great story that Jesus tells, or actually, story about Jesus, where he's in a Pharisee's house. This wealthy man is there, and, and they're talking and they're eating, and this um, prostitute comes in and, and weeps at Jesus' feet and dries his, you know, washes his feet with her hair, or with her tears, and dries them with her, with her hair. Like one of the most humiliating things you could do in that culture, one of the most intimate and low things. And the Pharisee says, What the heck are you letting this woman touch your feet for? And Jesus says, you know what? This woman's washing my feet and you didn't even offer me anything to wash my feet with. This woman is standing in a low position because she's been forgiven much. She appreciates and she loves much because she's been forgiven much. Right? Um, Those of us who sit in a place where we recognize how wicked we are and how sinful we are can look up and say, I really need to trust that God's going to forgive all this stuff. Isn't it true? Like, Thank you. Uh, That's your job. Um, it, 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 like this extends beyond just the poor. It goes to all of us. It goes to everyone who's a misfit, everyone who's a reject, everyone who sits on the outside and is traditionally looked away from. Because the gospel is for those folks, right? And so when we look at this, part of what James is doing, right? There's a temptation in the church to look at folks. And, and it is a temptation, right? So that was two sections ago. He says, listen, temptation isn't from God. Temptation is from you. And so if two guys walk in, you look at one, and they're, you're like, this is a desirable person we want to have going to our church. And you look at the other, and you say, man, that guy's a hot mess. I don't want him here. Um, w- which is it that we're more likely to treat nice or go out of our way to say hello to or go out of our way to spend time with or go out of our – it's easy to become that kind of biased, right? But that temptation comes from within us. As we read the scriptures, we can recognize that what God puts in front of us, what God puts in us, um, is a desire to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Is a direction to be under Christ's teaching in this regard. Um, we'll keep going. And, and specifically to recognize and James spells it out here. And heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. Meaning, when a poor man dies, if he has faith in Christ, he's going to be wealthier than anyone on this world, on this earth ever like could dream of. Right? Because he's inheriting God's kingdom. Because he's inheriting a wealth that will never go away. As nice as nice cars are, guess what? They get old, don't they? As nice as brand new farm equipment is... Drive around and look at, the, you know, look at the farms. Like how many old pieces of farm equipment are sitting? And, and like you can't even get anybody to haul them off for scrap, right? Um, the reality is that every bit of wealth in this world disappears. Real eternal wealth belongs to anybody who has faith in Christ. And so when James says, listen, these guys have a lot of faith, but they're also heirs of a great kingdom that will never go away. Um, by standing and looking at folks unevenly, Um, We forget, like, the real kingdom economy. Um, He goes on, but you have dishonored the the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Um, So he says, listen, not only are you mistreating the poor guy, but the rich guys are the ones who are persecuting you. Why would you act differently towards the guys who are mistreating you? Um, and, And, I mean, it's a pretty good argument. But ultimately it's because... What we see in our own prejudices are very easy. Like it's very easy to let those things get in the way, isn't it? Um, other places we see this, and I'm—I I believe our church is good about it. So, if it's if it's standing on your toes, I'm—I'm. I'm, it's not aimed at you, but if it is, you know, take it for what it's worth. Um, isn't it easy to look at folks and say, "I remember what they did," isn't it? Or to lean over to the guy next to you and say, hey, remember when so-and-so was doing this? Or, hey, doesn't this person have these sins in their past? Ultimately, in the kingdom economy, we're all forgiven, right? Um, It's so easy to look at folks and say, um, and to forget. And to forget the grace and forget the peace and to forget the future. Because the stuff around us blinds us at times. Uh, James goes on. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted of the law by the law as transgressors. What's he saying? Well, so you have this set of rules that Jesus sets out, these teachings. And the very center of them is is that, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying, listen. If you're violating the core of Jesus' teachings, then in reality, his teachings, like, convict you. Like, you have, um, you have, you have this thing that's on your record. Um, does that mean that I'm saved by being good enough? No. I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ who died for my sins, right? That is the only way I will ever achieve righteousness before God. However, that does not mean that I can follow God and then say, Well, you know what? Forget all those laws. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I want, right? I, you know, forget, forget the rules because salvation allows us to become like come under Christ's lordship, meaning that Jesus is, um, is over us and we follow him. It puts us in a new standing to follow God's law, not that we'd be like made righteous through it but that we can know God intimately and be made Christ-like through it. And so if we just ignore the, the rule, the love your neighbor as yourself, and we treat people unevenly based on the fact that maybe we don't like them, maybe they're bad, maybe they're ugly, maybe they're you know poor, maybe they smell funny, maybe they're not dressed nice, maybe I can't get anything from them. Um, if we ignore or we mistreat or we treat with bias, um, we ultimately violate God's law and we demonstrate that we're not like, really following christ properly um it's like trying to stand on both sides of a fence right how does it usually work out i <laughs> I've, I've been on a lot of farms i've never tried it has anybody ever tried to go over one of them fences and not managed and ended up standing on both sides it can't be done right well maybe john he's pretty tall but <laughs> but i'm guessing not even john right i <laughs> well and that's an ouch that anyway um James uh, goes on, he says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. And he hit pause here. This is a really common phrase amongst, or idea amongst ancient, like le- lawyers and ancient philosophers. They would say, if you violate one point, you break the whole thing, right? Um, I think it's uh, Seneca was a, a Roman writer or philosopher, and he said, look, if you have one vice, you have all of them. Meaning, if you can't be perfect, you you you're not perfect, right? Um, sometimes I compare this to, to my wife and I. If I manage to do everything right except I have affairs, I violated our marriage contract, right? It's not like oh, I only violated that one part, but I kept everything else. Nope, I'm I'm guilty, right? And I'm probably dead shortly thereafter. Um, I don't have affairs, by the way. Um, but that's the example he uses. Um, for he who said, do not commit adultery, but also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, um, you have become a transgressor of the law. Meaning, like, if you violate one and not the other, it doesn't mean that you're okay. It means you violated the law, right? It's the whole thing or none of it. And so as we follow Christ, we follow Christ and we say, well, I need to follow Christ. not I'm going to follow this part of Jesus, but I really don't like this part right? And it's easy to do. Um, honestly, it's especially easy to do when we talk about loving our neighbors ourselves, because some of our neighbors are jerks, aren't they? But we're supposed to love them even though. Um, 12 and 13. So speak and so act. That phrase is really odd, right? Because in Greek, what he's actually saying is constantly speak and constantly act As those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, What's he saying? Is he saying you'll be judged by the law? No. He's not saying that. He's saying act as though you're going to be. Live your life. Speak and act constantly as though you're somebody who's going to come under judgment for your behavior. Because you're following Christ. Because you're trying to become like Christ. Because our pursuit isn't to sit and sin and enjoy it while we're, you know, standing on both sides of the fence. It's not to do that. Our goal is to stand on the one side of the fence with Christ. And so, constantly speaking, constantly acting, constantly move in the direction of um, this, um, of somebody who will be found blameless. My challenge for you this week, because I think this is a harder passage, and it, um, it's a lot of material to cover. Um, My challenge to you this week is to look at your heart and look at your life. Are there folks you treat unevenly? Are there folks that you look down on? Are there folks that you pass by and you just don't want to deal with because, like, there's something wrong? Or because, you know, because there's there's nothing to be gained? Um, Do you love your neighbor evenly? Um, I, I think James picked this because it's the most obvious application of Scripture. Ultimately, this is an extension of what we talked about last week. If you are following Jesus, that means the law applies everywhere, doesn't it? It means that following Christ's teachings applies to every part of our lives, not just the easy parts. We're going to close in prayer and and uh, uh, have a good day. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us today and help us to um, help us to look at our hearts and recognize impurity. Help us to to look at our hearts and recognize areas where we need to to shift and adjust and and where we might look at folks with our own prejudice or our own um, inclination away from from following your will. Um, I pray that you would make anything that's, that's not perfect abundantly clear that we might be found blameless before you. In Christ's name, amen.